Hello, hello, hello. I'm Aaliyah, and this is Netflix Coffee and Questioning Humanity. In this episode, I'm going to talk about titles on Netflix that you need to give a chance. It has been five seconds and I'm already holding back swear words. So friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast, which means I may discuss explicit content while certainly using explicit language. So little ears, those easily offended, and my mom and dad may want to bow out. Hey, it's Editing Aaliyah here. I apologize in advance for the less than perfect audio in this episode. I pre-recorded next week's episode and this week's episode pre-mic glow up. So grazie mille for your patience. And now we can get back to the downgraded audio show. So I made a massive list while poking through Netflix, as one does, of the shit that just looked absolutely fucking stupid. Some titles seemed hollow, not like easy to watch hollow, but like, wow, that was two hours of my life. I will never get back. I will be roasting those titles soon enough. But this episode is all about me being proving proved proved wrong proved wrong i think that's how you say it right proved wrong I have been full throttle fall mode and totally into chai lately. So I got creative-ish at Stabby's. I know some people go bananas with their recipes at Starbucks, but I, one, feel bad for the baristas who have to make it, and two, lack the barista knowledge of what goes good together. So it's a pretty simple recipe that I concoct. I'm sure someone has done this a million times already, but I don't care. I feel creative. I started with a venti iced chai latte with three pumps of chai, and then I added three pumps of toffee nut syrup, two pumps of pumpkin sauce, and two shots of espresso. It literally tastes like churros in a cup. It's very sweet, very fall. I also took some advice from my nephew who clearly has the life hack of the century because he knows that I'm not the biggest fan of ice in my coffee. He was like, auntie, just freeze the coffee and then you'll have coffee ice cubes. And I have been shook ever since. So shout out to Liam. Hi, I know you're listening, even though you're not supposed to be because you are considered little ears, but... Thank you anyways, lamb. Love you. I've completely changed my stance on this not having enough barista knowledge situation. I've changed my mind. I'm a barista legend. This is so delicious. I am the drink maker of the world. I don't care. Okay, back to the titles that you need to give a chance. And don't forget, this is a spoiler-free podcast, so you don't have to worry about me spilling the beans on anything major. I just give just enough information to get you hooked or to make you say no thank you. And the first title I'm going to try to hook you with is called Dead to Me. Fine. Then I want to know how the fuck this happened. When the fuck, why the fuck, and what the fucking fuck, and then I'm going to tell her that he's dead. Okay, that sounds like a plan. And if I punch her, I fucking punch her. So I threw this on one day, expecting it to be so corny and that it would try way too hard to be dark and edgy. And it's actually the only title that is not from my look stupid list. Like I said, I just threw it on and then that opening scene hit and I was hooked. Christina Applegate grabbed me by the heart and the throat. I've loved her since The Sweetest Thing. She's obviously brilliant. This show also stars Linda 
Cardellini, I think I think that's her last name, who has had my heart since Freaks and Geeks and her portrayal of Velma and who could forget the iconic chutney scene from Legally Blonde. I got up, got a latte, went to the gym, got a perm and came home. If you don't remember that scene when Elle Woods straight up dunks on chutney, you need to rewatch and learn some fucking respect. The show starts off after Applegate's character Jen loses her husband in a hit and run accident. She's intense she's hot-headed and she is dead set on finding the driver who killed him she also is attending a grief support meeting like a group one and that's where she meets cardellini's character judy and the two of them grow close pretty quickly as any of us grow close like smoking weed bashing in taillights and watching the facts of life throughout the season they navigate through their emotional bullshit truly awful shit mind you obviously we have established that Jen is this intense human being and Judy compliments her by being this like soft sensitive hippy dippy doo. The chemistry between the two is just fucking hilarious and it's heartwarming and it's so real. It feels like an authentic friendship. They really capture that well. Season two starts off very intensely because season one ended so crazy. I will say it got really twisty in season two. Okay, how do I explain this? Is entertaining as twisty can be sometimes it borders on lazy writing to me it's just like okay we get it twist after twist after twist and this is connected and that's connected it's almost like too hard to believe or convenient if that makes sense I fully understand needing to suspend belief for shows but I mean it's still enjoyable it's just like a little nitpick that I have that being said I completely watched it all the way through and remained engaged and entertained the whole time Parts of season two did feel a little bit slower pace wise compared to season one. The last two episodes are definitely my favorite of the season. Oh my God. Ugh. And Shandy, my favorite character, hands down. She's a morbid little angel. You will fall in love with her when you get introduced to her in season one and she just thrives from there. I know that was a lot of talk about Dead to Me, but you know what? It's a great show. And if you fucking love cuss words, then you'll love it even more and you need to give it a chance. And if you have no other reason to watch it, watch it for Jen's med- meditation ritual alone. That's it. That's my final word on it. The next title that you need to give a chance is called The Package, which you might have seen while scrolling Netflix, also titled as the eggplant emoji. Just just the eggplant emoji, like the physical eggplant emoji. It's a fucking mushroom, dude. Everything looks like a dick at night. I cannot believe I liked this movie. I was dead convinced that this was going into my look stupid was stupid category and I was so wrong. I was so wrong. Now I don't think this will be a spoiler because the title has an eggplant emoji. The title picture is a group of pals carrying a cooler. The tagline is friendship is just the tip and it's titled the package and the bio does mention an and I'm quoting an unfortunate accident you can put the pieces of that together on your own now that I have supplied that information I'll give you a quick spoiler free rundown of this wild adventure of a film after going on a camping trip in East Bumfuck 
an unfortunate accident occurs, which leaves this motley crew with a delivery mission. And they have only 12 hours to deliver this very special package. While having no ice to place said package on, no phones while in the middle of nowhere land, this shit was so funny. Every single one of the actors or actresses was hysterical. One of my favorite scenes was when they sit around the campfire and they start belting out Oops, I Did It Again in like this slow, intense, really emotional rendition of it. I was wheezing. The twists and turns get funnier and funnier. Like you're not even ready. There, There's some really good twists. The overall horrendous treatment of this precious package is just fantastic. There was a scene when they dropped it it in the sand and essentially turned it into a churro. Oh my god. It's lighthearted. It's hilarious. It looks so dumb, but give it a chance. You will not be disappointed. I can't say I knew exactly what I was expecting with my next title, Dragula. Hello, uglies. 11 monster drag queens have been brought here from around the world to compete for the title of Dragula. Whoever claws their way to the top will snatch the crown and a $25,000 grand prize. This is gonna destroy me. I knew it looked bizarre and I was like, okay, this could be really stupid or absolute dynamite. It was the latter. I would like to preface this by saying, just because I really enjoyed this show, that does not mean I co-sign any of the contestants past, present or future behavior. Some seem like they are or could be incredibly problematic. I have a life and a job and football to watch between Netflix binges, so I truly have not researched a single one of these queens. The opening scene of Dragula was hilarious and bizarre. And I can confidently say those two words accurately sum up this show as well as talent. Obviously the show Dragula is a drag competition hosted by the Boulay brothers and it's so innovative. In the brothers words, and I quote, it's strange, wild, and the dangerous side of queer culture. The more people are accepting us, the more they try to fit us into a little box and make us conform. To us, drag is a form of radical self-expression. It's an art. And the last thing an artist needs is to be told what to do. End quote. Like, do you not have goosebumps? I love that. Full disclosure though, I've never seen RuPaul's Drag Race or any drag competition. So this was me watching with fresh eyes. The challenges were so fucking cool. Now, some shit was a little bit brutal for me. Back to the looks. They are so far out there and creative and I was absolutely mesmerized. Abhora, she had a look that included baby dolls for the butthole and the boobs that spewed milk. They spewed milk. Let that let that sink in. You have to watch this show. It's nutty. I really enjoyed Abhora's looks throughout the season and James Majesty, so glam. I don't think anyone liked either of their personalities, but there was so much drama. Season three, because on Netflix, it's only season two and three at the point of when I watched. I really liked how diverse season three was. It was diverse in age, ethnicity, and even had cis females. Out of the characters in season three, I really liked, was it Violencia and 
Yowska. So twisted and dark. I loved it. It's just such a raw show. I wish they did focus on the positive journeys of these queens because they have such amazing deep stories that get super emotional and I enjoyed that. But I'd prefer that they focused on the queens overcoming obstacles rather than taking a microscope to the petty fucking drama. But alas, in this generation of Kardashian reality TV, that's what most are drawn to. So this is what we get. The art and the ability to overcome, in my opinion, should really be the heart of this. I mean, that's what I took from the show anyway. So I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. uh, But I just thought that that should be more of the focus. Overall, though, the show is campy and weird and a bit out of my comfort zone in a good way. I can think of no better way to sum up my thoughts on this title than to share a quote that was ringing in my head as I was watching it. And this is from Cesar A. Cruz, the Mexican poet and human rights activist, quote, art should comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. So this next title, Ugly Delicious, I thought would be like, okay, cool, an easy, upbeat, somewhat hollow cooking food-based show. It looks kind of dull, like something you just scroll past. Do not scroll past Ugly Delicious. The dishes that we're making, it's about telling a story. (laughs) I want to be able to cook so that people can understand. How do I tell someone to be more open? And I think for me, it's like, how do you do it with food? Aren't you tired of pissing people off, though? No. Don't tell me how to cook my shit, okay? Like I said, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. We're going to Taco Bell. What are you scared of? Donkey? We have a gift for you. Definitely has the head size right. I can't change the politics. But maybe I can by opening up their viewpoints to food. If there's anything you'd like to say to the people at home watching on Netflix, uh, what do you have to say to them? Konnichiwa, bitches. The opening scene completely wrecking balled my initial assumptions. It's hilarious and heartwarming. The, the first episode really is all about a chef's journey trying to balance parenting and work which was a super interesting way to hook the viewer and and show you that this isn't just like another cooking show. There's literally in every episode, multiple lessons. So many interesting lessons. Oh my God, I haven't even mentioned the main guy's name. His name is Dave. I believe he's on, um, what's that show? The John Favreau, The Chef's Show. I think that's where I've seen him before. I didn't, I didn't research that deeper, but he is the man. I love Dave. He calls out bullshit in a lot of episodes too. There was one that surprised me in a good way. It was some dude rambling on some mumbo jumbo psycho semantic bullshit trying to tell people they can be magically healed by simply switching their cooking oil to coconut oil. I am here to tell you that I, an avid coconut oil user who has no medical training, knowledge, or experience. And by the way, I think the world of coconut oil, I feel passionately about it. I would name my first fucking born child coconut oil. But I'm here to tell you that even though it's a healthy alternative, it is not healing like homeboy claims. Anyways, Dave discusses parenting, religion, cultural appropriation, people's ideals, sexuality, all of that in this very intelligent, empathetic, raw way while relating it to food. And it's done so genuinely. It's it's just beautifully done. You have to watch Ugly Delicious. Are you listening? Are you, are you listening? I need you, come close, come close. Turn up the volume. Max out the volume. I need you to hear me right now. Listen, really listen to me and understand this was my complete inspiration for this episode. They've won the Grand Champion 
championship several times. They could beat anybody. My goal was to beat the best cheer program in the country. We only compete once for two minutes and 15 seconds in Daytona. That it may be your last time in your career. We have kids that come from broken home or troubled past. If I wouldn't have came here, I'd be sitting in a jail cell right now. Your own brother is turning on you, jumping you. They would make me feel like I was not a part of the family. Those are my kids. I'll bite tooth and nail for them. What we're reaching for, it's... It's insane. I want to scream to everyone. Give cheer a chance. It's such a simple name, cheer. Don't roll your eyes, male, female, and everything in between. Stay right here and listen to me. Give give me a moment. Let me explain myself. This was the most surprising thing I have ever encountered on Netflix. Maybe even of anything I've ever seen. This story on the surface, yes, it follows a cheerleader's journey to a major competition in Daytona. But the real show, the heart of this show, are the stories of these athletes and the most gut-wrenching hardships that they face. Now, I, I do want to get it out of the way. I do know what's happening with Jerry and my heart, like everyone else who is a big fan of cheer, is completely broken. I can't imagine what the victims and their families are going through and the friends and family of Jerry. I don't stand anyone. Like, anyone can get the boot. I This, this is why I don't. I can appreciate someone without standing them. There's really nothing more I can say on this. You can research that situation yourself and come to your own conclusions, but I will not be discussing his part, which I know was massive in the storyline and was super powerful. Hopefully you're Gucci with that. If not, then I mean, it is what it is. It's just my comfort level is not there. So I will continue discussing the show without bringing him up any further. Cheer is the setting, not the story. That's the only way I can explain this. Each one of these athlete stories is more powerful than the last. These are cheerleaders, a highly accomplished junior college Navarro, led by the iconic visionary queen Monica Aldama. She is goals. We love her. She's an unapologetic queen who balances business and visual aesthetics, if that makes sense. It's it's like this balanced intensity with empathy. She's dedicated to her team. She refers to them as her kids. It's really no wonder why Navarro is so successful at competition when they have Monica as their captain. Navarro College is located in like an East bumfuck Texas town known for producing fruitcake, I think. And that's no offense to the town or the fruitcake. Side note, I am going to make a fruitcake closer to Christmas and it's going to be fucking delicious. That's been on my mind. Like I've never made a fruitcake and I like I always hear jokes about how nasty they are. So I'm like, I'm just going to make a bomb ass fruitcake and it's going to be what it is. Anyway, I'm rambling. So after getting some background on the school and the town and Monica, you start getting a deeper look at the team. And I'm going to tell you to hold every stereotype that you may have at the door. You will be quickly eating your words or thoughts, whatever you get what I mean. I immediately fell in love with Ladarius. I connected instantly. His story and his way of thinking reminds me a lot of fetus Aaliyah, aka high school Aaliyah. He's just so extra. It's just so much. Yes. And I I love that. As my favorite YouTuber, Peter Mon says, be too much. I also loved Morgan, that little angel. She had like 
an absolutely devastating story, but like what a strong way to rise above it. My moment of eating my words definitely came with Gabby. I felt like a total asshole. This girl is made out to be the Zeus of cheer. Like she's it in the cheer world, the end all be all. And I was instantly like, here we go. She'll be fake humble and an absolute diva in a shocking twist. That's her demonic mother, but we'll get to that. I was so dumbfounded. This girl's genuine humility and dedication to her craft. It's another tough storyline, not the worst. It still had a lot of disturbing elements, like a family looking at you like a cash cow and do this humble brag in the most toxic way. It's so yucky. And don't fucking give your kids advice on how to properly starve themselves. Okay, like being completely honest, I know I don't know these parents. I I don't know anything about them. I know it's a TV show. I know that producers have a way to make things look like they aren't. But there's a particular scene that if you watch or have watched, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where Gabby's mom gives her some dietary advice. And I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? What the fuck is wrong with you? This is, I can't, I can't. You'll have to watch it to see. But I really, I'm sure her parents are great and lovely and are not, or I hope they are not as awful as they're made out to be. But in my mind, that's just my opinion. They're demonic. Just be ready to throw tomatoes at your TV when you see those dickheads. All of these athletes involved in this program, and I'm sure beyond like at any college cheer level, they spend their lives from broken homes, some of them, and families overcoming just daily obstacles while also brutalizing their body. And for what? What's the end goal? The absolute top of the pyramid, not an intended pun, but a cute one. The end goal is two minutes and 15 seconds at Daytona. That's it. That That is the absolute top for them. Blood, sweat, tears, broken bones, hurt ribs. The doctor in the show just spews off all these injuries and their spirits are broken all for a shorter time than some people pass a bowel movement. There is no professional career in cheerleading waiting for them after. There's none. They only have that moment. I've watched this maybe five or six times through already and I cry during that last episode every time. Ugly tears, like sobs. I'm a sensitive bitch, but it is very emotional. The anxiety that they are able to build, especially if you are or were an athlete, you feel the pre-game and competition hype. You feel the chants, you feel the cheers, you feel all of that. Like it's like reliving the glory days, right? This show is deep and powerful and it really makes you take a deeper look at water that appears most shallow. And I think that's something everyone should give a chance in their day-to-day life as well as giving cheer a chance on Netflix even if it looks stupid I promise you it's not Thank you so much for listening to me ramble on and try to make a solid case for these dynamite shows and films. Maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised. Maybe you'll think my opinions on all of this are trash. Whatever the case may be, let me know on Instagram at Podcast. That's where I post pretty pictures of what I'm drinking and updates on episodes and all that jazz. I would also like to share a website for Black Lives Matter resources. The website is pb, p as in Peter, b as in Bob, dash resources.com.
There you will find podcasts, books, movies, media, profiles of everything pertaining to the Black Lives Matter movement. You will also find petitions, numbers to call, emails to reach out to, tips for protesters, bail and arrest resources, lists of black, queer, and trans organizations to support, and a list of action items to support and educate yourself on the black trans community. There are also links to bail funds, direct action, memorial funds, black businesses, and more. And they also have beautiful tributes in honor of those who have lost their lives at the hands of white supremacy, police brutality, and injustice. Black lives still matter. They will always matter and they have always matter, regardless of whether or not it's still trending on social media. Thank you again for listening and for supporting. Stay caffeinated, stay streaming, stay strong.